sharing this morning from 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And in this, I just want to make this clear this morning. What I'm doing and what God would have me to do this morning is I'm going to share with you what God gave me personally in his counsel. And uh, so I just want to make that clear. This, this is what he gave me in his counsel to me personally this morning. Now, the background of this, uh, to realize this, is in, in this second book, this second epistle of Corinthians, Paul was writing this to the Corinthian church, the local assembly in Corinth, in the area of Asia Minor, which was Greece, the area. He gave him this letter because in it, and some have said this was written in tones of sarcasm. And again, and uh, maybe that's true, and I'm not so sure about that, but I can tell you this, that when it was written, they were believers in Christ. They were in Christ's positions. And everything that God was giving the Apostle Paul to, the, to those Corinthians had to do with God's love for them. And this is why he says this, in chapter 10, verse 1, he said, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And so what he's sh sharing here is, is what Christ has done in him as an individual. So that what comes out of Paul towards them will be Christ in him alone. We can know this when he said, the Holy Spirit tells him, he's giving this personal testimony of himself, that everything about him now has to do with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's talking about a yoke. So in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus said this, come unto me, all you that labor. See, he knew in his impeccable humanity, he still felt rejection, pain, hatred. But yet he said that because he labored more than, other, more than any other human being. We know that, obviously. Based upon Isaiah 53, those 12 verses there, and scores of other scriptures, scores of other teachings in the synoptics, there was this constant labor, this self-sacrificial love. And so, when Christ said that, he said that in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, based upon how we see in that chapter of Matthew 11 how he was constantly hated and rejected. But he said he gave us counsel. His counsel was what he did in his perfect humanity. Was he, all, he always used that as an opportunity to draw near to the Father. That's what he did. And we see that based upon Matthew 11. Verse 1, right up to 27, and then we see 28. That's why he said, come unto me, all you that labor. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But you need to take my yoke upon you, because you have to learn of me. For I am meek. And gentle. I am gentle and humble. And you will find rest unto your souls. 
So Paul, when he was saying this, made this very clear, that he himself, from the time that he met Christ and received him on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, 1-6, we know that he received Christ when he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Because no one can pronounce that the way that 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 brings it out. He was, he had received Christ instantly at that point. From that point on, he was yoked up to Jesus. That means he was positioned in Christ. And then from that point on, he was continuing to grow in the reality of that. You see, there's no experiential growth without a yoke. And this is what he was teaching. He said, now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am, I am, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold when absent. So what he was saying was, he was saying that's what they thought of him. That's what they thought of him. That's what they thought of him. That is precisely what, what they thought of him. And so here he said this. He said that, that you say that about me. But that is not, he said, that is not how, how I think about myself because I rely on Christ because of the yoke. And that is even... In your rejection of me, that is not how I think about you. So, but I ask that when I am present, that I need not be bold with confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us. And what he's saying is, this is how you regard us. This is how you regard us, as if we walked according to the flesh. But though he said, he said this, for though we walk, and our walk speaks of our growth in Christ based upon our position. So in 1 John 2, 6, we ought to walk as Christ walked. Now, if you and I look at that in 1 John 2 and verse 6, we follow it back all the way to the first verse. Then we follow that back again all the way through 1 John 1, 1 through 9. So we start from 6. Chapter 2, 1 through 6, we follow it back. Then we follow it back up through 9, all the way back up to the first verse. This is what is being brought out here. Though we walk in, in the flesh, and that simply means this, that we still have the flesh in us, but we're not to walk according to it. This is Romans 8 and verse 9. This is, and this is what 8, Romans 8, 1 through 8 is teaching that the flesh is in us, but we are not of it. It is in us. And though we walk in the flesh, this is what he said, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we don't teach Christ that way. Mixing the flesh. Mixing the flesh in us that we're not of and mixing it with Christ and presenting Christ that way. We don't do that. But though we walk in, in these in the flesh, the flesh that's in us, but we're not to walk according to it. The in there is very, very important. In. Because we are positioned in Christ. We see this in Ephesians, those first three chapters. We are, we walk, we walk in the flesh, but we walk according to Christ. We do not war according to, and that word to there 
has to do with a separating, sanctifying, learning process constantly. So Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul is teaching us, listen, teaching us, that our whole Christian life is one of constant dependence on him for everything and learning of him constantly until we all go home to see him face to face. When we finally do go home to be with him face to face in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, he will, be, he will be able to continue his love for us in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. That simply means it's not that we're not going to know. We're going to constantly experience it. But at that time, we enter into Revelations 2 and verse 17, our intimate fellowship with him for all eternity, where he's going to teach us intimate. And we're going to have an intimate exchange with him. But nothing again that does here will ever disturb or distract us from that love. We don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not of the flesh, but separated. The but here is this contrasting conjunction. The contrast is who we are in Christ, then what the flesh is in us. We can't say who we are in the flesh. That's not right according to Christ and according to the scriptures. No. Okay, the contrast is the flesh that's in us that we're not of and who we are in Christ. And that's why there needs to be this separating, sanctifying process in John 17, 17, brought out in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. There has to be a purging. There has to be a purging of the old leaven in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. There has to be that, because Christ is our Passover. He's our Passover. We entered into his death, brought out in, in Exodus 12, 1 to 13, and that's what Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, is teaching us in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. For Christ is our Passover, meaning he passed over us, but God certainly did not pass over his son on Calvary in terms of propitiation and substitution and reconciliation. And so the Holy Spirit is teaching me, teaching me this morning, that in every area, Ed, Ed, you are dead in Christ. You are already dead in Colossians 3 and verse 3, and Christ is your life in Colossians 3 and verse 4. And I, when you received Christ, you received the fact that I passed over you and dealt with everything in Christ. You're no longer the old. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, you are no longer the old. As long as I am no longer the old in me, I will never treat anyone after that. The flesh is in us. The flesh is in us. But it is not who we are. It's Listen, it, and I'm listening with you. It is not who Christ is in us. It is not who Christ, and God was counseling me this morning. It's not, it's not who Christ is in you, Ed. And so your only other option when it's not Christ is the flesh. And it's very subtle, based upon Genesis 3 and verse 1. It's very subtle in drawing us away from that simplicity that is in Christ in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. So for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but contrast. Flesh that's in us, who we are in Christ. But divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. There's 
anything about God through the power of the Holy Spirit destroy anything that Christ has accomplished? Absolutely not. The destruction is the enemy trying to get back, get us back into a place of the flesh. And when that happens, the thief has entered in John 10, 10a to steal, to kill, and destroy. For the destruction of fortresses, strongholds, areas where we're held strong. This brings out the beauty of teaching in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24. The servant of the Lord. Listen, the true worshiper, the true servant must not strive. That's the flesh mixed with Christ. And trying to make people do something that only Christ can do in them. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that they might have life. And then in, in local assembly, surrounded by Christ the head, to have that life more abundantly. And then be joints. In Ephesians 4, it starts with men submitted to Christ, yoked up to him. So again, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, is the equal of Ephesians 4 and verse 8. God will give men to the body that are yoked up to him because then it's Christ flowing through them minus the flesh. That starts intimately with us, each of us. Husbands, initiators, this, this has to do, and no wonder in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, you can start at verse 25 and go right down to the end of the chapter. It starts with how husbands are with their wives. How we are with our wives will be how, if I'm in a position to lead or to lead and being a follower to Christ, and that's a leader, one who follows Christ on a consistent basis. Don't know how to do it. We wouldn't know how to do it. That's why it says in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. If I don't know how to love my wife, how can I love the church, which is the most intimate? Who's the most intimate person? in terms of marriage for a husband than his wife. Well, that's what Christ is like towards his church. And by the way, as he says to me constantly, Ed, they are, they are my church in Matthew 16, 18. They are my sheep in John 10, 3, all the way down to verse 27. They are mine, not yours. You are mine not yourself. I bought you in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own. You are not your own. And so here, when we see this, we see in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be what? There's that word again, gentle. Yoked up to Christ so that the flesh can't come in. And when it does, obviously, in 1 John 1, 9, we confess it and continue in that yoke experientially because we are yoked up to him positionally. Nothing can change that. Nothing changes that. And so we see that we're gentle. The servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle. Why? Because that's a gentleness and meekness of Christ flowing in and through the vessel, through that individual personally, towards his wife, towards his family, and then that goes out as God calls. And that takes time, by the way, and a lot of growth to lead 
a local assembly if God has that. But it starts in the home. It shouldn't be any different, and it's not as far as God is concerned. And so we're dest he's destroying all these areas where the will, the fortress, is the stronghold. The stronghold is, is the will captured by Satan. How does he do that? How does he capture us experientially? I mean, he can't touch opposition. Sin can't touch our position on my relationship in Christ. It can't, because Christ has dealt with all of that. Furthermore, he's crucified the old in Romans 6, 1 through 6, and we need to make that declaration and confess Romans 6, 11 and 12, 13 and 14 in those chapters, in those uh, particular verses in the sixth chapter of Romans. Right? God is not calling us to die to some particular thing this morning. He's calling us to reckon we are already dead to those things in Christ. So, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. Then it says, apt to teach. You see, I can, have, I can be called by God and be, be given the gift of an evangelist or a pastor teacher in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. There are no more. Uh, apostles and, and, and New Testament apostles, obviously, and no New Testament prophets. There aren't any because the canon of Scripture has been completed. The foundation has been laid. Now we need to be careful how we build on that foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11, and that foundation is Christ based upon Matthew 16 and verse 18. We're not to mix it. Told me time and time again in his counsel with me, I don't want you mixing the flesh that's in you with who Christ is in you and who you are in him. Because if you do, that's what you give. That's what comes out of you. So, what happens? What happens? When I, when I mix the flesh with what Christ has given me in terms of his beautiful counsel, that becomes the thing that the enemy uses to cause even those that are Christ to oppose themselves. This is 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. Those. He, Satan gets the individual in the flesh, whether it's the one who preaches or the one who receives that. They, he uses the flesh to keep them in a place of constantly opposing themselves because Christ, God is for us in Christ in Romans 8 and verse 31 in Psalm 56 and verse 9. This is very clear in the scriptures. Very, very clear. And this is, and God wants that clarity of, of his loving, convicting counsel in us so that we don't get condemned. So God will, he doesn't condemn. There's no such thing as constructive criticism in the word of God. No such thing. That's legalism of the flesh. No. He gives loving counsel and that's conviction. And conviction in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32 is God's loving counsel so that we don't enter into a lie of the condemnation of the flesh in Romans 8, 1, because there is no condemnation for us in the flesh. Now, people, we can get, we can oppose ourselves. The enemy can get us to oppose ourselves in the flesh because the will begins to be captured experientially we can't be captured positionally. That's John 6, 37 and 39. That's John 10, 28 and 29. No one can take us out of his hand. Nobody. It was grace that saved us, and it's grace that keeps us. We're kept by the power of God in 1 Peter 1, 5. We're saved by grace through faith, 
and even that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, because we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto these good works, which God has before ordained that you and I should walk in them. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But what does it do? Okay. The world gets captured experientially. And then the enemy is allowed to condemn us, not through God's choice, obviously, but through choices that we make. And that's why we need to be have the soul separated from the spirit, self-conscious, everything about self to be severed. And that is purging. And, and that is Hebrews 4 and verse 12. It's the, the, the weapon of the word, the sword cuts. One side cuts out the infection, the other side heals. This is what Jesus was teaching his Jewish disciples and he, what he teaches us on a consistent basis. In John 15, verse 3, he said, Now you are clean. The word there really is purged. You are cut off. And God has to cut off through preaching and teaching. And this starts with us. It starts with initiators, husbands. It starts with those that are evangelists and pastors and teachers to be cut off in every area of the flesh. And that happened with Paul continually. As much and as great as God used him, the greatness was what God used, made him gentle. In Psalm 18 and verse 35, your gentleness makes me great. Your gentleness made me great. In my worst times, God, you were so loving and gentle towards me. David said that. I said that. We can all say that in his presence. And so what we see again here is that it comes in, and when it says that, but divinely, this is 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, but divinely powerful for the destruction of these strongholds, held strong, the will, by the flesh, so that we don't experience Christ. Fortresses. And it doesn't say we are destroying. It says who? Destroying speculations, because who's doing that? That is the Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ. In John 16, 13 and 14, based upon 1 John 2, 20 and 27, based upon that, he's taking the things of Christ and showing them unto us how they are destroyed. You see, he's not calling us to die to certain things. God, I want to die to this area. No, you're already dead. You're already dead. It's not about doing in Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. It's not about trying to do those 10 Hebrew words in Exodus 23 to 17. No, he that dies once in Romans 6, 9 is dies no more. <laughs> He's calling us to reckon in Romans 6, 11 that we already are dead. The flesh is dead. Not to live in dead areas. Not to live in dead areas of the flesh. This starts and literally with men, and how we relate, how I relate to Christ, and if he's my head, then that's what I give my wife. Otherwise, then what? We are not to know ourselves after the flesh, because if we do, we will know them after the flesh. And then we will teach that way. And God forbids it in Galatians 6 and verse 14. God forbid that I should glory. God forbids it. We don't glory in men in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 21. We're not men pleasers in Ephesians 6, 6, Galatians 1, 10. We're not to do that. We're not men pleasers. 
Everything that Jesus did and finished in John 8, 29 and Romans 15, 3, he did pleasing of the Father. He was the accepted one. Now we are accepted in him in Ephesians 1, 6, but that's based upon everything about the person of Christ and him alone and the work that he did finish by himself to his Father in propitiation, thus becoming our substitute whereby we're reconciled. And so as we go forward in this, that, that the Holy Spirit, through taking the things of Christ, is destroying these speculations, these imaginary things, and every lofty high thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And what does the knowledge of God always have to do with? His love. His protection. The knowledge of God. And it doesn't say, and we are. No, it says, and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, that's the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and Galatians 5 and verse 16, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because we have been. They that are Christ have, past tense, crucified the flesh and the affections, those passions thereof, in Galatians 5 and verse 24, based upon Galatians 5 and verse 1. For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free so be free. Be free. And taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That starts with me. That starts with me. That starts with each of us. That starts with all of us. But in God's order, even in marriage, the head of every man, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, the head of every man is Christ. If he's not, then the flesh enters into the man, and that's what the wife gets. That's what the church gets, God forbid. The local assembly. The church is not a building. It is the local assembly that Christ poured out his blood and suffered all his life and went to Calvary to win. They are his. It is his church in Matthew 16 and 18. It's not man's church. It is his church. I will build my church and it will be built upon the foundation not the flesh of others. This is brought out in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. This is brought out there clearly. Let me read that. And this is Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. It says, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine, this teaching, and does them, meaning submits to them, I will, he will be like a wise man. What is wisdom? Wisdom is love. Because wisdom comes out of love and there's always protection. I'm not teaching people something because I have something against them in my flesh and I'm using the word to do it. No. No. I will liken, he will be like a wise man which built his house upon a rock. That foundation that Christ is in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. Brought out in the types in Exodus 33 and verse 21. And, and this is what happened. And the rain descended and the floods came. Isaiah 59, 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against them and he has to flee because I'm submitted to him in James 4 and verse 7. The floods came in Matthew 7, 25. And the winds, this, the enemy, the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. The winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon the foundation, the rock that Christ is. 
And everyone that hears this teaching of mine and submits to them, does them, will be likened unto, and doesn't, will be likened unto a foolish man. That's brought out in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. A fool, a fool has no thought of God. In, John, in, in Psalm 10 and verse 4, he has no thought of God. He makes himself to be like God, thinking he's like God. In Psalm 50 and verse 20, and let me say this, this was made very clear to me this morning, that can be the flesh that's in me that I am not of, that Christ isn't of. We need, I need to be very careful, very careful. And I, and I won't be without a yoke, without constant dependence, something that Paul had to have until literally at the end of his life in Ephesians 3, 1 through 10. Ephesians 3, uh, 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 Philippians, I should say, Philippians 3, 1 through 10. He said in Philippians 3, 8, anything outside of Christ is absolute dung. Absolute dung. Got nothing to do with who Christ is in me and who I am in him. I follow that way, he said, 35 years of age until I met Christ on the road to Damascus. Then my whole bottom fell out. But what I found was when that was gone, there was Christ when I received him. In Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. Finishing in Matthew chapter 7. It was founded. It was founded upon a rock. In, in Matthew 7 and verse 25. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine. This teaching of mine. And refuses to submit to them. Will be likened unto a foolish man. Be more interested in his own opinions. And himself. Than Christ himself. A foolish man which built his house upon the sand. You know what that is in us? Nothing. The sand. Up one minute, down the next. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. On the sand. And the rain descended in verse 27. And the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. For great was the fall of it. You know, in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And God in his loving counsel has to constantly separate the flesh from the spirit. Again, this is Hebrews 4 and verse 12. It's every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. You know what that means for me? That means that that has to happen in me. Every lofty thing in my flesh, mixing it with the word, Mixing it with God's love for me and mixing it with his love for others. What does a little leaven do in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Galatians 5, 9? What does a little leaven do? It leavens the whole lump. Okay? We are to purge, purge, cut. This is, this is John 15 and verse 3. He cuts it. Again, this is Hebrews 4, 12 with the word coming in, cutting experience. So we function again in a proper position of being loved and protected. That's why Paul needed the thorn in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. We need that. And again, and great was the fall of it. This happens to us as individuals. Every morning, I need personally God's counsel. Every single morning. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then what? Then then we are ready as we submit to Christ to punish all disobedience. 
whenever your obedience is complete. Whenever that is. Listen, this is what I know. When I function in the flesh, that's how I see God. That's how I see myself. That's how I see others, no matter what I preach. I look at them after the flesh. I look at them. The source of every suspicion, and there's no suspicion in God's love, plenty in the flesh. There's no irritation in God's grace, of which his love flows through, plenty in the flesh. But the source of every suspicion and irritation is the lust of the flesh. There is no control in those in Christ positionally without an experiential yoke. All that is, all we do in the flesh without a yoke is worship self, called self-worship. No yoke means no experience of God's love. He loves us, but we don't experience it. And we change it for a yoke of bondage. Again, this is Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 24, what it brings out beautifully, the reality of Colossians, the first chapter all the way down to the end of that chapter. Brings it out beautifully. No. No. The yoke of pride. That's the flesh experientially. The yoke of pride, the yoke of self, against the accomplishment, against the finished work of Jesus Christ in me personally. I give in to lies. Pride. What is pride? That's the flesh. That's where flesh resides. That's in the flesh that we're not of. None of us, as far as God sees us in Christ. But he constantly has to separate areas where we function in pride and in flesh so that we now have the same view that God has of us in Christ. You know God's view of us as Christ? Never changes in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14. Malachi 3.6 and James 1.17. What is pride? This is what it is. It is the hatred of God's manifested love experienced by the believer who is in Christ positionally, but a lie of Satan has come between who they are in the newness of who they are in Christ, and that's becoming between them and God. you know Satan's kingdom even in his kingdom even those that function under his rule are, are they're, they're not even Satan is not even for his own do we think that he is for the unsaved no he hates them he hates them believe listen he hates them because God loves them in, in John 3 and verse 16 God so loved the whole mass of unsaved humanity that he did give his only begotten son. He hates them. And furthermore, sooner or later, at the end of things, in the midst of the tribulation, he's going to come down in great wrath. And in Revelations 12 and verse 12, even against those that he has deceived to serve him, for he even hates them. How much more then does he hate you and I in Christ? Listen to me. And I'm listening with you when I say that. He hates Christ in us and his so great love for us. As his, his body in Ephesians 
his own flesh and bones, his body, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 27, where his body, where his bride, the, his bride, the deepest desire of intimacy with us. In, in Revelations, we see in verse 5, uh, in Revelations uh, 5, we, we worship him 5, 9 to 12. We are his, his bride. We see that beautifully in the scriptures in Revelations. We see it brought out beautifully. All synonymous terms were his body, where his church, ecclesia, called out ones. We are called out. The flesh has been crucified, and he's called us out of it to assemble around Christ, to feed on him. And that's what that is, Satan's kingdoms, not even for his own. We see that. Satan's kingdom for the believer that he can't touch positionally, because sin can't even do that doesn't change our relationship with, with, with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And 1 John 5, 18 would be, the wicked one touches us not, that's eternal, our eternal life. That's positional truth as far as God sees. He can't touch that, but he'll come after us and the way he does is through the flesh. And God forbid that I should ever, ever again, mix my flesh with the beauty of who Christ is and then present that to people. And there has been, there has been my failure in that. But I thank God through his loving counsel. He's made it clear, you're not your failure. You are not. But this needs to be purged in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, because Christ has already dealt with that as the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5 and, and verse 7. And so we see these things very, 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 very clearly. We need to be yoked up with Christ because when we are, we are positionally, but when right teaching comes out, we're yoked up with his love for us. We're yoked up to his love. And then, but, he, but what the enemy wants us to do in the flesh is to kick against the, the direction of the intimacy of God's desire to be, which has been fulfilled in Christ for us. For us. That's why Paul was saying that I myself. Paul wasn't giving. Paul wasn't giving. And some have re referred to it as the Pauline teaching. The Pauline doctrine. When it was the teaching of Jesus Christ given to Paul. Period. When he didn't deserve a thing. He even said it. And through the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Even his labor wasn't about himself. It was about Christ flowing through him. He's not presenting just him. And Christ to us, like we don't have him. No, that's why he said, I myself, am, I'm urging you, please, by the gentleness and meekness of Christ. You see, I used to be a legalist, he said. That was very hard, because the enemy was very hard on me. And I was very hard on Christians. We'll see that in Acts, the 8th chapter and the ninth chapter. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Do we think the flesh in us is any different than that? Seeing someone in their failure, seeing them not functioning in who they are in Christ, and that gives me the right in ignorance to give myself over to the enemy and the flesh to slaughter them when they're not ours. They're not, they're not mine. That's why we're called under shepherds. Under the shepherd 
in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 1 through 13. The shepherd, the one shepherd in John the 10th chapter, and that is Christ himself. And we're not to mix flesh, the flesh, because that starts in us. The pride of the flesh, mixing that with Christ, like we have attained something that others need to work their way up to when it's already finished in me and already finished in them. It's not to be that way. No, we're not to walk according to the flesh. Not at all. We're not to do that. We walk by faith, dependence in Christ. Not, not by the flesh, but by love, dependence upon that, you see. So the enemy wants to, as, as, the, as we are his sheep, wants to slaughter us. How does he slaughter us? Experientially, through lusts. You know what lust is? Lust is an idol. An idol is anything that competes against Christ. No matter what it is. I don't care what it is. Whatever it is. Is it a material thing? I don't care what it is. Is it a business? Is it a job? I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, a person, whatever it is, self, it's use of lust to slaughter and to keep love out, to keep it out. And that's not what God has. Now, following this through and finishing this this morning, finishing it right up, in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Paul said to them, you are looking at things. That's what you're doing. You are looking at these things or what is before your face in terms of the flesh. You're determining things based upon your flesh and not dependence upon Christ. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. You know, in 1 Samuel 16 and, and verse 7, God does not look according to the appearance. John 7 and verse 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. How much more should that be about who we are in Christ and potentially what the unsaved could be? In either case, are they our enemy? No, we only have one enemy. And that's the evil one, Satan. Satan, devil, devil, diabolos, one who pierces through. That's who the devil is, piercing through with evil. And Satan, Shatana, Shatana, Satan, opponent of God and opponent of man that God loves. Boy, that can come out. God forbid in the flesh, that we're not of, but that can be in us, experientially, never positionally. No, no. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, this is what he's saying, let him consider again within himself that just as he is Christ, so are we. I don't think Paul said, finally, God had to teach me, and he constantly teaches me. Me, and he constantly had to teach Paul. Listen, you're nothing in yourself, but you have everything in Christ. <laughs> that just as, as he is Christ, so are, also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, what is authority? It's God's love. 
referring to a broken vessel, which the Lord gave, gave what? By grace, for building you up. <laughs> building you up as I am built up. And not for destroying you experientially. And I will not be put to shame through the flesh. That's 2 Timothy 1, 12 and 13. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, you are saying about me that I think that my letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absent, such persons are also, we are also what? Indeed, when present, meaning Christ doesn't change. He doesn't change in his humility, his gentleness and humbleness. He doesn't change. He said, for we are not bold. We won't be bold to class or compare ourselves with some of who those of those who commend themselves, that's the flesh, that's pride, but when, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with, really, themselves, they are without understanding. They are without a God's love experientially. There's no wisdom. And without wisdom, there's no experiential love that flows through grace. And we don't boast, but we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere, the location of Christ, which God apportioned to us as a measure, to reach even as far as unto you. You see, you're against me. But I don't see you that way. I see you in God's love. I see you in God's love for you. Because God is separated from me experientially. He's dealing with me in counsel. That this is the way and the only way that Christ flows through that man in Ephesians 4, right? So that now he becomes a true evangelist and a pastor teacher who feeds them. And then they become a joint that supplies, you know? Even for the Apostle Paul. He gave those. He gave Paul to them, but he gave those to Paul. That's Ephesians 4 and verse 16. We all become joints that supply because we don't gather around Paul. We don't gather around a pastor. We gather around Christ. And there's an order how that works. But it doesn't work without submission to Christ. So as we close this morning, we can see here, we see that to reach even as far as unto you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure. In other men's labors. That's another thing. We don't boast in other man's labors. No. That Christ measured in them. So in other words, I don't boast. I receive what Christ gave the, the Apostle Paul because in doing so, he was giving it to me. But I don't boast like I don't, like I somehow replace him. No. No, this is what it says. The gospel of Christ. You see that? The good news is of Christ. It's got nothing to do with the flesh. Not boasting beyond our measure in other man's labors. In other words, I receive from other men, but I exclude them and replace them with me, even with what God gave them. 
See, this is humility. It's that none of us have anything. None of us have anything that's our own. None of us do. Not a single one of us. No. No. Not boasting beyond our measure in other man's labors, but with hope. With the hope. That's a guarantee. Christ in us in Colossians 1.27. That as your faith grows, your dependence, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. Do you see what this is saying? Isn't it wonderful? I am built up. God built me up. He separates the flesh in me. He builds me up in Christ. I, in turn, through, as it flows, is, it gives that to others. Then they receive it and the others give it back to me. This is beautiful. This is the local assembly. This, this is the head Christ in Colossians 1.18. Not setting him aside in Colossians 2.19 as our head. And allowing another head, leaving our first love, in Revelations 2 and verse 4, and allowing another false authority to come in. Two, uh, Revelations 2, 4 to 6. No. Even enlarged, even more by you, so to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished by Christ alone in the sphere of another. We're not comparing. But he who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Galatians 6.14. You know, when I taste the Lord, when I taste that he is good, my only goodness is in him, in Psalm 34 and verse 2, the humble now will hear thereof in 34.8 and be glad. And then in Psalm 44 and verse 8, oh, yes, Lord, my boast is in you and only in you, Lord. No more false lies, pride, confidence in the flesh. No, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved. 2 Timothy 2.15, 2.24. But he whom the Lord commends. He whom the Lord commends. And Father, we are so thankful for your counsel. Thank you, Lord, that we don't want anything of the flesh. Thank you that, Lord, when I see another believer in the local assembly, I, only have, I should only have your view towards them. Because if I don't, all, they, all I give them is the pride of my flesh. I ignorantly compare myself with them. Father, uh, we ask for, and we confess forgiveness for you. I do in this area. Where, where it hasn't been Christ. I do. And do so, Father, with my whole heart before you. And Father, we are so thankful for each believer and even having this view of the unsaved. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.